the way that we perceive the world and receive the world, and then what we're able to give or not. And we make some distinctions all along the way. Am I going to take care of myself? What does that mean? Well, taking care of yourself doesn't mean you have to exclude anyone. Welcome to Humanizing Software, where we explore our ever-evolving relationship with technology and its impact on our professional and personal lives. Hear incredible stories and gain valuable insights from global industry leaders as we discuss their relationship with software and how it's developed over the course of their career. As technology continues to evolve and brings us closer together, it should enable people to do what they do best while we uncover what they do best with the help of technology. And now your host, Andrew Tall. Good morning. Good afternoon. And good evening to all of those listening in from around the world. Welcome to this week's edition of Humanizing Software, presented by Tailwind Business Ventures, where we have a fireside chat with a number of different global men and women around the world about their thoughts about not only technology, but about the humanization side of it. We ask you to please visit our website at tailwindsw.com. Engage with us online, either on Twitter Facebook, LinkedIn, or on our own channel on YouTube, where we can continue the conversation about the oncoming digitization of the world, its impact on our day-to-day lives, and those different components of technology that either add value or perhaps might not add as much value as we would like for them to. We love the different range of topics that we've discussed in the past with folks such as Joanne Corum at McCoy's. Yin Young, Leslie Wingo, Michael Ward, uh, Topeak Sangam, and many others in our previous episodes. And today, I'm exceptionally pleased to have the opportunity to have a very special and unique individual that is very near and dear to my heart join us. Cindy Goldsberry is coming in today, and Cindy has had the opportunity from a leadership perspective to work on sustainable growth strategies that mirror the heart of a company's service revenue and growth goals using a unique proprietary system that she's developed called Visionary. Her system allows to really put together people, process, and platforms to help leverage and evolve the experiences about what business should all be about. She has been a partner at Higher State Technology, has previously worked with Boundless Network, Motorola, and Ernst & Young, and most particularly is currently a wisdom guide to leadership and employees. Please join me in welcoming Cindy Goldsberry. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Andrew. I'm so pleased to have you come in and join. I know we've had the blessing of having our lives cross paths many, many moons ago, and we have seen and experienced and been through quite a number of things together. I am blessed to not only consider you a friend, but somebody that I truly view as a mentor um, and a, whether you like it or not, life coach uh, for me. So thank you for all of those things. Well, you know, you're amazing for so many people. It's got to be mutual, right? Have each other's backs. It does. And during the course of today, we're going to cover off a number of conversations, a number of topics. And honestly, I have no idea where I love a number of them are going to go, but I do know where we're going to start off with. We love to have all of our viewers now, and that might be watching us in the future, have the opportunity to get to know a little bit more about Cindy. So Cindy, tell us the Cindy Goldsberry story. Okay, I'll keep it kind of short and sweet because actually when you gave the introduction, I was like, man, I sound like I'm 100 years old. I've been <laughs> Early on, it was technology. And I would say probably the gift that I was given is that place in between the people who are the technologists trying to discover what is needed to make life more efficient and profitable and et cetera for the business. And then what's the reality of what has to happen with the team who has to deliver on that? But you would call it a sales sales ops role. And it's where I really loved to, to shine. And while some of the highlights in my career uh, was when I was with Boundless and working with a uh, people in a sales channel and helping it grow. And it went from zero to 52 million in about seven or eight years. So that was a fast, fun ride. I've done a lot of consulting and such on my own. About, let's see, in 2014, my husband and I 
invested in higher state technology, managed services provider, helped that uh, team go from about 150,000 in sales and basically a portfolio of, he was a break and fix guy. We used the methodology, coaching, et cetera. Higher state fast forward has about 28 souls employed. Six of them are veterans. We're very active with the Seven Eagle program. Um, We're at a $2.5 million company now. It is uh, an MSSP, so we're focused on the security component, which is very hard for smaller companies, particularly the platform essence. But I just got off a phone call with our sphere directors. We're, we're, We're organized instead of hierarchically. We're organized in a sphere. Very fascinating way to look at it. But it is a human first technology company. We are about the beings, not just about the doings. A little bit more background is a year, well, was it two years? In in 2020, in October of 2020, my husband and I were coming home uh, on our anniversary and uh, we were slammed into from behind at 70 miles an hour. I, I woke up two days later in the ICU and I woke up to tabla rasa. Everything was wiped off my slate. I lost uh, Alan which Andrew and uh, Megan have been an amazing, amazing wingman for me um, during a very difficult recovery. I was pretty bangled up. I didn't, couldn't work. Um, and so it, it, there is a, there's a unique perspective when you're rebuilding from nothingness. And I can equate that to, even us talking about software systems, reinventing who we are as a company, deciding how to exit, deciding how to grow. So during that time, it took me probably a year. I have an, it's an invisible disability. If you met me, you'd never know. And so I have begun to weave myself back in and doing several things. I, um, I'm getting a master's in emotional-based um, well-being. I don't know where I'll take that, but I'm looking at the 13 to 33-year-old segment and the way that technology and news and social media and just living in this world and COVID um, have really, I think, just taken the lid off the mental illness that exists and the emotional um, dis, dis, disquiet that's in this world. Uh, working on being a Gene Keys guide, that's a whole nother story, but it's basically about the way our genetic code as human beings is evolving as we become better masters of our mind, our heart, and the way that we go out in the world and utilize the tools available to us, technology being just one of those. And I also just agreed to be a mentor in the foundry. This is, it's an ink, not an incubator, but it's for small businesses any age. And I have, it's a cohort cohort of 10 businesses that are essentially getting an MBA from this group. And I've got two companies and I'll be part of that collective. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about that. So I guess that's in a nutshell. The only thing I'll start with is I started as a sixth grade teacher. Cindy, you have given me an absolute wealth of wonderful topics to discuss. And we're going to touch on a number of those. The thing that I wanted to touch on specifically because of the importance of not only who you are, but what it is that we're talking about today on the humanizing software side. You did not mention that there are 28 people working at the company. You very specifically said there are 28 souls working at the company, a very, very important distinction and something that I want to explore a little bit more. People that are not, and not people, but souls that are not doing, they are being. Let's start there because there's so much of a wealth to learn about what seems to be just kind of a simple word change, but there's a lot different between people versus souls and doing versus being. Let's talk about that for a little bit. When our relationship began with Higher State, it was Doug Miller was CEO and Anna Miller, she came in and is part of the organization. And then in about the last two years, Doug actually left to go with one of our largest clients and he is over the technology and Anna is now CEO. She has a rich background in values like Barrett uh, values, uh, the Jinkies also. She has developed a program called Flourish. And Flourish right now is, I, I 
I'll probably could be corrected, but I'm going to say it's in about Gen 3 in over seven years of being implemented within higher state technology. Instead of your, you know, what do you call them? I don't even know what to call them anymore. When you get reviewed, you know, they oh. bring you in and they give you a rating performance, you know, performance reviews. Okay. Yes. These are, they're called your flourish sessions. And essentially it's for us, we as individuals, as a soul to come in and say, what is it I need to flourish here? And, and we all do so many different things in our life, whether we have a period of time that we're working at home or we're working at home and we're working for somebody. Now we have this remote. We have so many things that we're managing. Are we flourishing? Are we, are we taking care of ourselves? So there's a lot of things that go with that, right? Because we have different kinds of currencies. We may need financial currency. We may need time. We, need, we may need acknowledgement. We may need security. So if we can focus on that, what is it I need to be? Well, then guess what? You don't have turnover. Your doingness is there. So now, because you know my background and you know I'm basically this, you know, I'm the one banging the drums going, yay you, yay you. I will love to see Flourish be available to other organizations. And it will be, at some point, will be ready to be shared so that others that are that really are curious about what can we do about this culture? How can we leverage the tools that are available? There are so many software technologies available, for example, to create communication, to help take people along learning paths, to give them the information as they need it, when they're ready for it, and then and, and in some ways self-serve. So that's so yeah, we're real. It's it's intentional to to say the the souls. You have been intentional since the first day that you and I met, which was I'm going to say over a decade ago at least. I'm I'm, I'm not sure. It's just one of those that. Uh, and, and it's interesting because, and I've told you this before, Cindy, and I'll say it today because it's particularly relevant. Um, you are one of those folks that I have in my life that when I have a chance to interact with, I leave that conversation, that meeting, that lunch, that whatever it is, feeling better about myself and the world in general after our conversation because of your spirit, because of your glow, because of who you are. And that is something that's a unique, that is one of your superpowers that is very, very unique to that. You've spoke to it, this concept of flourish. There is something to be learned, I believe, with a lot of different companies. Instead of feeling that you have to just clock in, clock out, and you're done, being able to feel enrolled and engaged and valued as an actual member of the team, as a soul, as part of the collective. Um, I just made a musical analogy there, and I just don't do that. <laughs> but being able to make that happen, I think, is so incredibly important. Your spirit has shown through in so many of your different talents um, as a business leader, as a sales evangelist, um, as an artist, um, as so many different facets of, of, of Cindy. Let's talk a little bit about those particular facets. When you, we just talked before we were uh, coming on live about the painting that's behind you uh, that you painted when you were 16. When you were growing up, let's talk about some of those early on influences in your life that helped develop you from then to now and in this whole package of Cindy Goldsberry and your take on the importance of humans being part of the equation. Let's talk about that journey. My father worked for Amoco Chemicals, Standard Oil, Amoco, then BP. So by the time I was 14, two weeks before my senior year in high school, I was making my 14th move. So I've lived in seven states. I'd moved 14 times. I was moving from Chicago to Texas. And I'm starting with that because that was the first time that I really made a conscious decision about the way I was going to present to the world and be seen. When your accent changes so dynamically or your situation, and you think about all the different places where we change, we go from being single, then we're part of a couple, then we have kids. I mean, who hasn't been in a grocery store and their kid is screaming and you're thinking to yourself, oh, hmm, you know, it, 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 it's, not, it's not you. You're with another human being. And so we have to separate some of this codependence. But I start there because it gave me an opportunity to really to be real, but put on a layer that other people could see. And I think that that is one of the greatest gifts I got from all of those transitions. I was just on a, a cruise with my 
father, we went to Vietnam and Cambodia, which was just outstanding. But depending on who I'm talking to, I could be talking to them like this or somebody else was from Alabama and I was talking to them like this. I could just go. And they and finally several people came up and said, where are you from? <laughs> well, whoever I talked to last. Well, and, and that's something that's been unique. And I want to touch base back on your relationship with your dad, who is a very, very special individual to yeah. you. And I know has shaped quite a bit of your life. This, this concept, um, and, and you had mentioned that interacting with different folks, how um, in a way it's almost being a chameleon to reflect back not only who they are, where they might be coming from, but finding and getting some commonalities, really connecting on that human to human side of the equation, something that you've got an incredible gift with. We talk about it quite a bit, um, and, and obviously from a Tailwind perspective, we're the humanizing software. That's the whole point of this conversation is the impact of and the importance of relationships. Relationships being the key, not from a transactional, hi, I see you, we pass, there's no other connection that might ever happen, but a, hi, my name's Andrew, I'd love to hear your story. I'm happy to share mine. Let's see where our stories are going to come together. And we've talked about this quite a bit on previous episodes, is when one become two and those two are able to come together to make something awesome happen for a third, a fourth, a fifth, that's to me where so much of the magic happens. It starts with that relationship. It starts with the power of making sure. And of course, we've codified that at Tailwind with software as a relationship or SAR, which is all over our website. We do software different. We don't do it from a transactional-based nature. The second somebody says, we're looking for a vendor, I'm like, great, that's not us. Let me help you find somebody else that can probably best fulfill that. We need to be a partner. And you have exemplified that in so many different ways, Cindy, in your partnerships with you and Alan at Higher State, in the companies that you guys have helped build, and in the friendships that you have developed and that you have invited me into on so many different fronts. So the power of that relationship, I think, is something that's really, really unique. And I want to spend a little bit of time on that, um, whether it's our friendship that we've been able to develop, that that you had with Alan, who will always, always be an amazing and incredibly important person to me um, that I truly uh, and dearly love and miss. And the relationship that you have with your dad, which mirrors that that I have with my parents, especially that with my dad. Um, it's one of those that it's incredibly important to recognize and appreciate the values, the belief sets, the ability of one plus one equals a number significantly greater than two when you build it around a relationship. So let's talk a little bit about that relationship side of the equation, Cindy. I know it's something that's very near and dear to your heart. It, it is. I want to go, I want to kind of weave this in with something that you had said about being a chameleon. In some ways, COVID helped strip that away because when you have to, like, this is, I call it my creative room now. This was Alan's study. It's been repurposed and the energy of who he was is still here with me, but I've got all my trinkets and all my things. So there's four P's when I think of um, what this means for relationships to be authentic. And particularly when I look at your business and the fact that you want to be a partner and the last P is partner. But I think as we go about any kind of relationship, but let, let's talk about the business relationship. We are unconscious of the layers of protection we put around us because we do not want to fail. We want to be protected we want to protect those around us. And so when we can't get to the truth and the vulnerability from the get-go, that layer of protection becomes politics. And politics is when we're doing workarounds, when we're not honest, when we are making um, you know, compromises to that which would be the way that we want, that then the third is performance. Are we able to perform? And so many systems not just software systems, but organizational systems are not choreographed for the humans to actually perform as partners together, to be in synergy towards the goal that we all want. And 
you you can get people, for example, who are super good at protecting themselves or super good at politics or super good at performance. But to be a partner means that you're aware of all three of those. And with the masters that I'm doing and the study I've been doing, I started out with the mindfulness because I had to spend so much time in a chair. And my dad, he came and visited with me and and I've had you came and helped me. I mean, it, it it's it's just amazing. What I realized is that we have our sovereignty as souls, our ability to use the tools around us and authentically be vulnerable and real and admit and desire to change because we have to be the change. And it's it's not easy to do. I think probably one of the most humbling things that's ever happened is that I've had to learn to say, I can't do that. Or as I, as I joke, I shan't. I shouldn't, I couldn't, but I say I shan't, right? Because I don't want to say I can't do something because, you know, but yeah, like I'm not supposed to do any camel riding, you know, per my back doctor. That I understand completely. And the, the term of the shant, that is not a new thing to me. I have heard that before, uh, yeah. specifically introduced by you. You mentioned systems. Part of what we're talking about on humanizing software is the impact that systems, in this case, software, have on our everyday life. You have been a part of, and you specifically mentioned um, that one of the key value points of visioneering is allowing people and processes and platforms, or I'm translating that, systems, to be able to come together and mutually support each other, build each other up. Would love to get your take on systems that you have seen that have been particularly effective in building up people and processes. And even if you've got some take on other systems, software or hardware, doesn't matter to me, that have perhaps taken away that connection between folks. Would love to get your take on that, Cindy. So I'll I'll start with a little bit on visioneering and say the paradigm, the lens that I look through. So the 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 first thing is, so visioneering has four components and it starts with what's the desired future state? And you can do this about anything, but if let's say in this case that it is a system to to allow there to be, for us to be able to know what our human beings in this organization are doing, how they're taking time off, when they're working, all of that, but to also give some freedom into this. Let's just say that's it. That's the desired future state. Well, then you go backwards from there. And if you say, well, that's true. And at its base is what are the currencies that will drive that success? Well, there's financial there's both cost and then what goes into it. There's reward and recognition. There's, you know, time off for those people. There's rewards. There's commissions. There's, there's all. So what are the currencies? So, and I am very, I, I'm very big on getting outside of everything's about profit. Everything's about the financials because there are so much that goes into where we are. Then the next is, okay, then what has to true about the souls, the human beings in this system and the roles that they play and what are the gaps that we have? Because if we need operational excellence or we need people that understand values or we need people that can hammer widgets into holes, what and, and who loves to do those things? And then finally, the last question is, how will the brand, the infrastructure and the systems support the authentic roll forward, go forward to get to that desired future state. And then you can do your action plan. Well, we must do these three things as the foundation for the brand infrastructure systems, these three things to get the people part going, these three things to be able to understand what our currencies are and what we might do with them and what we can afford or what we can attract, right? So then back to your question, a really good system. I'm going to use Southwest Airlines. Hmm. And the reason why is we have all been on a Southwest flight where we have been entertained by somebody who was using a microphone, who was having a good time, who was our flight attendant in the midst of whatever. And that is a, is it always perfect? No. But the fact that people feel empowered 
to be able to do that to me brings great joy. It's like, I want to be around human beings having fun. That's all there is to it. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because obviously if anyone was remotely connected around the holidays, around Southwest Airlines, they had a colossal series of system failures um, that they flat out said that we needed to invest in technology to modernize our systems. Um, and that was the reason. Um, and I've talked to a number of different folks that um, they just did not know where they had planes where they thought were here, pilots where they thought were here, crews that they thought were here and people. It just the entire system. And it became a domino effect um, where one little key part of the Jenga puzzle uh, was pulled and everything toppled down. What's interesting in the aftermath of that, because obviously it was around the holidays when people are trying to get home, there's already weather delays, there's always a heightened sense of stress because it is the holidays um, and those come with times of wonderfulness and those come with times of maybe not so much wonderfulness depending upon uh, whatever might be going on. The way that I know that, uh, and my family was personally affected, my brother had his, uh, his he and his wife and their uh, uh, sons came in and one of them had a whole bunch of trouble trying to get home. We lived it. We saw it, exactly what was going on. What was interesting was the ownership after the fact and the fact that everybody who had a flight was given a certain set of miles. Just literally, we want, we want to tell you that we're sorry. We own this. And here's what we're going to do to try and fix that. There's also going to be some folks that recognize that none of us are perfect, remotely perfect. This was obviously about as far from perfect as it could be. Yet, we all stumble, we all trip at some point in our lives. Being able to recognize that and figure out how to pick ourselves back up and make an impact on others, I think is incredibly important to that. Whether it is people or processes, or in this case, systems that might have actually started, it all circles back around to the people that are actually involved, the souls, as we started off on our conversation, that are part of that. Something that you mentioned, Megan and I, my wonderful bride and I, have had a wonderful, wonderful relationship with you and Alan. That was an incredibly difficult time a couple of years ago, almost two and a half years ago, with the accident and the aftermath of the accident you specifically used a phrase about how your slate was wiped clean on that. It is amazing to me, Cindy, that you're actually here today. There's work for you still to be done. And the fact that we're having this conversation, and it's not the same Cindy of early 2020. We all have changed. You've experienced a number of unbelievable challenges, physical, sociological, every aspect of it that's part of that. And yet here you are being a wisdom leader, emotional therapist to folks, targeting the ages of 13 to 33 and leveraging not only your life experience, but different systems to really make that unique humanistic touch to whatever level that you would like to, because this is one of the things that I have come to admire more than you will ever imagine. I would love to expand upon how your journey has taken you to become the wisdom leader that you are today to uniquely touch different souls? Profound question. In this journey, I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor. I've had a double mastectomy four years ago. I went through that horrific wreck with ribs, lung, four surgeries, head, all that. And I can walk and I can dance and I can laugh. You know, as I have a, one of these sayings, I say, God has a plan. I just don't know what it is yet. For whatever reason, all those events happened to me. And when everything is wiped clean and it was never so clear as, I guess, three or four days in, I had to make a decision that I wasn't going to grieve Alan yet because I couldn't wail. My lung was punctured and I had broken ribs. And so I said, okay, I'll wait and I will be about getting well. And as I went through that journey over the next 18 months of what does it mean for us to be well, I became greatly aware of the way that our mind 
impacts so much of the way that we perceive the world and receive the world, and then what we're able to give or not. And we make some distinctions all along the way. Am I going to take care of myself? What does that mean? Well, taking care of yourself doesn't mean you have to exclude anybody else. So I was humbled beyond a way I can ever explain. And we are here to be part of a great change to bring humanity into a better state of being. I don't care if one does it through their religion if it's a different kind of faith. I spent time with Buddhist monks recently. I just see that until we get conscious about the systems around us, and you know, they, they, the systems start like I go to the farmer's market. They have a system. They bring things in on a Saturday. You get to be part of it. They have a culture. You see it. Well, at some point along the line, then somebody comes and says, let's build an app for that so that you can order stuff at your, and then the app falls apart. Like Southwest was the perfect example of like both good and bad, right? We have to pause and say, are the hearts around me being served? Do I feel good? Am I thinking straight? Why have we not learned that stress kills? And yet we're doing that. For what reason? He was, I was upset because he deals with the platform side stuff. He works for higher state technology. And I said, for a second, unbundle this. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that stress, stress is actually a leftover. I actually have done some study on it. It's in your amygdala, in your brain. Um, now that my brain's coming back online. Um, your stress is, is that fight or flight that we have genetically inherited, it, inherited. But it was when we needed to rescue someone from a, a, a woolly mammoth, or we needed to run from the hyenas. Now what happens is we've got code that's not working, or somebody who's barked at us a certain way, or we can't find our keys. And that same genetic code is firing and it's creating stress. But because we're not running or fighting or having a sphere or whatever, it's just being internalized into the body. And I don't think people realize that the more conscious you get of Really? So like if I'm in line at the supermarket, you know, and there's somebody's in front of me and whatever, and then you get to the checkout person and they'll say to me, I am, I am so sorry. That person just like took forever. And I'll say, well, I was going to go to bed at 10 tonight, but I'm going to have to go to bed at 10 five because it took so long for me to go through the supermarket line today. <laughs> it's an interesting theory on so many different fronts and talking about the level of perceiving, receiving, um, and stress that is either work, family, people-related, whatever might come into play. Um, and I'll take it down to the influx of constant bombardment of there is so much content there is so so much news so much so many different applications that are constantly vying for your attention i am 100% guilty when i have that little red icon that pops up that states that i have something that is waiting for me it is a fairly innocuous little red circle however in some cases it is a absolutely blaring klaxon alarm that is screaming for my attention of there is something that you need to be paying attention to. And I'm 100% guilty at char, of char, uh, as charged of seeing those and realizing, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, squirrel, back, forth, left, right, whatever. And to me, it speaks to the capacity or the capability of removing the technology from your life, technology isn't meant to be inherently good or inherently evil per se. It's technology. There's a whole different conversation we can have about AI with chat GPT, with uh, Google's new iteration, uh, with China, with Baidu, um, everybody, Bard, Google's Bard coming out. And there's now a multi-billion dollar race about artificial intelligence where it's supposed to make technology more human with this artificial intelligence side. But at the very nature of the beast, it's still zeros and ones that are supposed to be agnostic. 
they're just there. But yet people's individual utilization of them is anything but. As you're looking at the emotional side of this on the soul, the being versus doing side of that, Cindy, what is your take relative to technology's role in this, both from a positive and negative aspect? So it's interesting because in in uh, traveling to Vietnam and Cambodia, we were on the Mekong River and were just miles and miles where people lived on 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 boats along the shore. But people have cell phones, and you could be in villages, you know, seeing silk or silver, and you know, being made, and and you're surrounded in jungle, and people have cell phones. I think it's an interesting statement that we're making uh, these ones and zeros, this AI, more human. So what does that really mean? What does it really mean? Because humans were 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 we're layers, you know, we're like, we're, we're like onions. And when everything's fine, the onion's fine. It's just going around and going around, but something happens. Let's say you have a breakup in a relationship or, or somebody tells you they're not happy with it, or you lose a job or a child is sick. The onions have to peel back. And then it is this place, this human system, this human system has a mind, has a heart, has a solar plexus, the gut. And from that, all kinds of decisions are informing us. My heart hurts. My gut is torn up. My head hurts, you know? And then we're starting to make some decisions because we are a physical vehicle carrying around a soul. The ones and the zeros that are in us, they run through the veins, they run through the arteries, they get called a piece of system or an API called the heart or an API called the, you know, the celiac artery, the gray matter, this lobe, that whatever. We need to ask, what do we want this artificial intelligence to do? Because I think we could run the risk of just wanting to be dumped down so much that we're just on this hamster wheel and it's not going to get easier. We are going to have to feel more, talk more, emote more, and we're going to have to share more. The wealth that is available in this world to help take care of the other human beings who have not is huge. And our systems would be greatly improved. And there's so many beautiful, amazing ways that that could be done through technology, through working together, through the people, the process, and the platforms that so... Not sure I answered the question, except there's so much possibility. So what you did, Cindy, is for the first time in the history of ever, or at least as it pertains to the 47 episodes we've had on humanizing software, is bring into this tiny little pea brain of mine, my gray matter that you talked about, is people like onions, which make me think of Shrek and Donkey. Never, ever (laughs) thought I would make that happen, but you just made that happen. You talked about the heart as an API. Never ever thought that an application programming interface would be this old ticker here from a heart-based perspective. And then you've talked about the veins, things running through being the connective tissue associated between and talking or, or providing that level of zero ones connectivity between the hearts. So somehow, I don't know how you pulled it off, Cindy, but you've got Shrek and Donkey with APIs <laughs> pulling at my heartstrings. I have no idea how that just happened, but you just made that happen. So peel back layers of onions. That's just, I mean, it just almost writes itself. It reminds me that I need to actually see that again, because that's just a good, good uh, original. Whoever, whoever sees it first has to call the other one up and go, Donkey! Deal. Sold. 100%. <laughs> I love it. So something that we talk about. Um, that is uh, quite important, um, obviously humanizing software. And we've touched on this in a variety of different ways on the souls, on the, on the people, on the actual, again, doing versus being. Our subtitle is something that the, the live cast is humanizing software, and that's important. However, what's more important in so many different ways is the subtitle of three words, people, driven, tech. It's right up there on the screen, something that is quite simplistic in just being three words, but it means a lot of different things to different folks. So Cindy, my question to you is when I say people-driven tech to you, what does that mean to you? What's your takeaway on that? So tech is the noun. People-driven describes it. 
And so then you can say, break it down and say, what does it mean to drive something? To drive is to operate some sort of vehicle to get to a destination. So in this case, you have people who are driving people, people who are being people, who are being human beings. That's who you want driving technology. You want human beings saying what direction, what location, what is the map that this technology will take us? Where will it take us? Without that, and I, we've got a real-time experience here with, with Higher State. Trusted a, a partner. Everybody has great intentions. But this particular platform started with the what and the how and not the why and the who. You ask that for, and how do you do it now? Then people driving, then I go out and get the tech to help you do that. But what often happens is the technology drives the people. So what's interesting, you're looking at that bi-directionally of people driving the tech. And I love the analogy of the simple, straightforward, you go from point A to point B um, and, and you get to a destination. But in some cases, and we just talked about it with, and in and, and, and many cases, that phone has more impact or determines or drives more a bigger part of my life than I wish that it would. It is ubiquitous as a tool of, do I want to use it to check the forecast? Do I want to check it to figure out how I'm going to get driving from one place to another? Do I want to use it as a means of communication? to either FaceTime with my kids, to either text with some business colleagues, WhatsApp with some colleagues that we have mm-hmm. on a group chat thread across the world. There are so many different ways that we can reach out and touch someone via technology. Yet in my mind, we're separated by a screen and that's fine because we've got this cool technology that's allowing us to be in our particular homes today, which are separated by no more than three or four miles, just as it happens. Mm-hmm. Yet we're able to share this across the world in a multitude of different geographies through the power of technology. So say that you and I are driving this message leveraging technology to a very, very broad set of folks. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is unique. However, for me personally, it will never ever remotely equate to the next time that I get to go see you and I walk up to you and I give you a hug and I say, Cindy, it is fantastic to actually see you. Huge difference of seeing you on the screen and us having this interaction, which I am truly appreciative of, but I will take the physical hug, contact, looking in the eyes, understanding everything that's part of that situation 101 times out of 100 across the board. Mm-hmm. Would welcome your thoughts on that. I, I, think it's, I think it's an amazing challenge, perhaps, for... Uh, this newer generation, uh, COVID in particular, if you think about how, how many children's early impressions were other human beings with masks on, where all they ever saw were their eyes. You know, I found myself learning to do like this so they could see I was smiling, right? The, the discipline that it takes to not just use the simplicity of the technology to check your boxes. I called my dad. I called my friend. I texted so-and-so. I posted on Facebook. I did whatever. Okay, now I shall sit down. It, in Vietnam, I have a, a Fitbit watch. This little girl in this village, she came up and she just was playing with it. I had multiple alarms set. Oh, my gosh, this thing was making all kinds of buzzers and noises for, for two days. But it was so much fun. But I let her play with it. But she was fascinated. I, I, I'll just use the word discipline. There is no replacement. And I don't know about anybody else. But it was hard for me to get back out. I was so used to sitting in my chair. I was so used to being in my own little bubble. I, I admit that I had just because of my physiology, some concerns, you know, about getting COVID, which I've had COVID again after all the boosters and all, and it's fine, bad cold for me, thank God. Um, but I, but I, I, 
I guess what I want to say is we've, we let's we let's be conscious about this because there is a world that hasn't had as much time. I didn't get a cell phone until I was in my 30s. My son got his when he was 13. When you go through the airport, you see a one-year-old playing with a cell phone. So there has there has to be education around this, just like we had to educate about driving a car or drinking alcohol or traveling. We 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 must come forward with what does that mean? Because there is there is a small segment and it's not just age, but there's a small segment of human beings who do not know how to communicate. They only with with human beings in person. They really only know text and such. So you're doing something that's very fascinating. So you're acknowledging me because, you know, you can see, right? So I know someone who actually teaches the head nod to people at 12 to 18 years old. Yes, because are you nodding your head when you're texting? No, you're not. And sometimes so, I am. Sometimes you are. You might. You might. But what she found <laughs> out was we, we look at a teenager and go, are you listening to me? Well, they haven't given us the head nod. If they would just do the uh, head nod or the uh-huh, we'd go, they were listening. But no. And so that's a communication gap caused by technology, unless we become conscious of it. Something that I've been having conversations with folks of mine in the educational field is, and I don't understand this, I can't even purport to have any knowledge of, but it absolutely makes conceptual sense on so many different fronts, that during COVID, um, when uh, of course, there was the distance learning, the at-home learning, which at least there was some learning going on. But then back in person, um, especially at the very, very tender ages, kindergarten, first grade, whatever, um, with wearing the mask. And um, I leverage and absolutely am reading the face and the lips and everything. But it's not as much nearly and nearly as effective to be able to see when half of the face is there to understand when you're trying to learn the alphabet, what the difference between an A, an E, an I, an O, or a U is, versus when I say A, or E, or I, or O, or U. Mm-hmm. And there's some fundamental skills that part of the humanistic relationships between people-to-people interactions that happen that we lost more than a year or two of on the educational side. And that I think is gonna speak to your point about making sure that we're having this education continue to be incredibly important. We have to understand where technology becomes an enabler and a tool versus a disabler and something to be used as a crutch, at least in my mind. Didn't know if you had any thoughts or comments on that. I, I think it's that's a fascinating scenario or example to me, because to make a five-year-old sit down, so in front of technology, so they can see us go A E I O U, that to me is torture. No, we should be doing the letter A, standing up in the room together. A, you know what I mean? It's like we have to get we have to get real. So what? They lost a year of school. Well, let's just not have the same kind of structure that says, oh, well, you're a failure because you're seven and you're just in first grade. It's like, come on, people. But but now, could a second grader do that? Maybe for a certain period of time a day. But let's get real. What is a, a four, five, six-year-old? They need to be knowing the boundary between their body and the rest of the world and being socialized and learning. And during covid Couldn't do that, understood. But how can we make up for it? Because there is six-year-olds and younger are precious little developing entities. And our focus on our children is so key. And that's why I think this 13 to 33, depending on who they have around them, I think there's a whole lot of lost conversation. There's been no place to say, this is how I feel. This is what's going on with me. They don't even maybe have the words or the structures. It's interesting because, again, as you're talking, I'm thinking through of the analogies. And you brought up Shrek, or excuse me, I went went with Shrek (laughs) with the onion. 
I'm going to go with Sesame Street and Big Bird and Grouch uh, talking about this is an A and, and doing the, the, the different uh, the different modalities of the letters. It is so important to have the multimodal means of communication and interaction. A device is an incredibly intelligent piece of equipment, yet it is only a device. It needs to be utilized in conjunction with the humans that not only designed it and built it or constructed it or brought it to your hands or are teaching you to use it, but also as a means with which that it is still just a device and the humans are at the core of that entire ecosystem. So hi, and Cindy, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. As we close out today's episode, and as I think back to beings versus doings, the souls, the importance of the relationship, somehow how you brought both Shrek and Sesame Street into a humanizing <laughs> software live cast. It's, <laughs> why should I be remotely surprised? I've got a visual. I've got a visual to give you. So I have it on my phone. My phone's not here, but it's a picture of Big Bird, you know, great big yellow bird. And he's walking with um, the Star Wars stormtroopers, you know, the guys in black, like the Darth Vader's. Okay, so they're about this tall and he's he's this. And it's a screenshot somebody sent me and it says, when you try to be a light worker in this world. And <laughs> so it's like, so, you know, big bird. Yeah, I'm a big bird. <laughs> there, um, the hashtags that will come out of this particular episode <laughs> are going to be perhaps the most diverse that we've ever seen ever, ever, ever. It's just, it's fantastic. So again, I want to thank you, Cindy, for joining us today. I'm so blessed not only to have you on today, but even more so blessed to have you in my life and Megan's and my and the kiddo's life. So I go back to one of our first lunches at California Pizza Kitchen where you and Alan were very graceful in allowing me and Megan to bring our three much younger kids at the time to come and bless us with that repast. And we thoroughly enjoyed it on so many different fronts. Yeah. So again, the power of the relationship is so key. So thank you, Cindy, for joining us. And as we wrap up today's episode on humanizing software with Cindy Goldsberry, we want to remind everyone to please Engage with us in the conversation. Come online, visit us on our website at tailwindsw.com. Check out our channel on YouTube, visit us on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, but engage. Be part of that conversation. Be part of the how and what we can do with the who and the where being part of that conversation. We're so pleased on this Valentine's Day to be able to have us all come together. And we also invite you in a couple of weeks to come listen in as we have folks such as Kai Gronstrom, uh, Joe Gleinsner, Emily Schuler, uh, Chris Turnley, and others who will be joining us in future episodes. But as we close out today, we wish everybody a special happy Valentine's Day and we wish all of you a very, very good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Ann. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Humanizing Software with Andrew Tall. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.